Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now I'm delighted to welcome to the programme uh, Mr. Deepak uh, Shandapuri from DSG Consumer Partners. You're very welcome to the programme, Deepak. Thanks for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Now, I, you, you gave us a very interesting talk this morning, Deepak. Firstly, maybe tell us a little bit about you and indeed your business. Um, you know, I run a venture capital fund investing only in consumer brands. So the hypothesis is that the consumers of today, uh, the people who are 18 to 35, have different needs, very different sort of factors they take into account when buying a product or a service. And the brands that you and I grew up with over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years that our parents buy, that we may continue to buy, are not the brands that an 18-year-old buys. So just think about what you do when you go into an Asda or a Tesco or an Aldi. You know, it used to be Kit Kat, and it used to be Cadbury, it used to be McVitie's. Uh, that's being splintered and fragmented, and consumers are just demanding more and want brands with a mission who speak to them, who are sustainable, or whatever the mission is, right? So our job is to sort of find those niches and find those founders building those brands, um, which a consumer of tomorrow should be buying or wants to buy today. It's a very interesting philosophy, particularly when you talk about things like, you know, frequency of purchase is a key factor. So you only want to be in a brand that somebody is going to repeatedly buy. You also want to be in a place or with a brand that can be sold to one of the big boys. Is, is, are they two of, the, two of the key pillars? Yes, it's a key pillar for us as a firm. It's not the only thing that works. It's, we go into a brand. So different, different investors come in at different points in the journey. Uh, when you go into a, to, a, to a company before we've launched a product, so you've got to think about the category. You've got to work with the founder to create the liquid or whatever's in, in the box or the packet. Uh, and then you take it to focus groups. Focus groups don't always tell you what they should tell you. Yeah. Uh, and they say it's amazing, it's great, or change this, you do. And then you take it to market. So we then take it to a, as small a pilot as we can. So it, it might not even be citywide, it might be neighborhood-wide. And depending on the product itself, and depending on the frequency of purchase, we keep the sort of pilot on so that we can gauge three things. Is the consumer buying it? Uh, is he repeating it? It's, think of consumer goods. First, you need to create awareness. This brand exists. Uh, then you need to create trial. Yeah. So, okay, this is a yummy drink. Oh, I'm going to buy it. And then you need repeats. That's the real yeah. uh, test. So we, we, we like to take it to market. Uh, and why we like regular frequency is that you get the feedback done in a month instead of six months. If something is bought every week, yeah. like a coffee or a soft drink or, or a candy bar, you know if it's moving or not. You speak to the consumer. And as important is the reception from the retailer. So the retailer is the guy who sees the consumer every day. And keep, keep in mind, in this part of the world, most of the shops aren't supermarkets. These mom and pop corner shops where you can speak to the store owner and you can ask him, you know, this, this chocolate, is it selling? He says, well, not really. It's selling because you give a one for one. But if it was regular price, no one's going to buy it. And the guys who are buying it aren't repeating. You know yeah. what? They, they try your product and the next time they come back, they switch back to what they used to buy. So that's the feedback we want. And, and that's why we like things with sort of uh, higher frequency. Uh, and as, as an investor, my job is to build brands. Um, we tend to stay with the business for eight to ten years, right. then, I, then I need to sell the business. 
So none of the brands will go public during my tenure as an investor. So my job is to sort of build products that I think one of the large global or domestic consumer goods companies would want to buy. So that's why I go out and I speak to all of them on a regular basis saying, you know, where do you see a gap? Where are you? And they say, Deepak, we're 100 years old. We, we, don't, we don't have a gap. We do everything. And we've got a lab and we've got 10,000 people. I'm like, okay, let's simplify the question. Where have you lost market share? Oh, yes, yes. Our, our biscuits are losing market share or our coffee. You know, we are the world's biggest coffee company, but it's a, it's a brand called Blue Bottle and it charges 2x of what we're charging. It's not as good, but we are losing market share. Yeah. I said, what are you going to do about it? They're like, you'll probably acquire it. So that's the philosophy we use as a fund. Is one of your challenges, given your philosophy, is one of your challenges, you know, that you're up against the big boys, that you're up against guys with deep pockets and you're trying to break into this sector. Maybe ultimately they're going to be your your buyer. Yeah. But the challenge, you know, in the interim is to compete against these brands. It is to compete. The David and Goliath battle is real. Um, but you can't get around that because to convince them to buy you, you've got to beat them at, at, at a particular scale. So, so once in a while, you'll be lucky and you invest in a category that is nascent and you own the category, so there's no competition. But in almost any CPG category, the incumbents are there. You yeah. might have a variation of the product yeah. or more often you have a, a different story. You are buying this brand because it's a B Corp, it's sustainable, we use no plastic, we use only metal and glass. You have something that hooks a consumer. So the hook is different for categories and geographies, but that's what we do. We do compete and, and, and the companies who end up buying us tend to be the companies who've lost market share to you. And once in a while, it's a company that wants to enter the category for the first time. Right. But you will have to compete with someone before you get there. And do you get a better price ultimately off a big boy who's lost market share than somebody who wants to, like, because clearly the one that's lost market share, I'd say nine times out of 10, they have the resources to buy. They do. I think it's too early to say the data's not there. Um, in the best companies and best defined as good margins, growing strongly, taking market share away, and you're probably number one, number two, number three in the category. What tends to happen is when you're ready to sell and the strategics show up and saying, you know, we'll, we'll pay 100 million for you. The financial guys show up saying, you know what, you've grown it from one to 50. Before you sell it to the big boys, we'll buy it off you. We'll take it for 50 to 150 and we'll sell it to them for 5x, right? So, so that's what's playing out. So some of, our, some of our best companies which have attracted strategic interests will probably end up in the hands of a large financial investor like a Bain Capital or a TPG because they see the opportunity of sort of growing it further. Right. Finally, uh, Deepak, maybe tell us a little bit about the story of Sula Wine that you were involved in. I think Sula's an interesting story. So I, it was the first consumer deal I did in India. So I was living in London in those days, uh, traveling to India sort of monthly on work and saw this huge emerging consumer class. Um, and India was at a point where they were starting to believe we are a big nation, which they are. Uh, we are a smart nation, which they are. And they started to believe that we could make the best products in the world. We don't have to import everything. And I happened to have met Rajiv Salman, the, the founder of Sula, about four to five years 
prior to my investment. I met him when he had just started Sula, uh, but hadn't launched the product. Right. So he, he, he was born and brought up in, 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 in Bombay. He's Maharashtrian, he's local. Uh, smart enough, got to Stanford, studied engineering at Stanford while, while living in, in Silicon Valley. He discovered the wine country and he came back. He said, you know what? Nasik uh, near Bombay, one of the world's biggest wine growing regions. We don't grow grape wines. Uh, Indians are going to get rich. Uh, they're going to drink alcohol. There isn't any good wine in India. The competition was there. It was awful. Everything else is imported with crazy import duties. He said, let me try, number one, to see if I can grow grape varietals in, in, in the region, which was successful. Then he said, let me, I believe I could build a brand where the consumers of tomorrow who are starting to drink alcohol for the first time will gravitate towards a, a wine instead of a whiskey or a gin. And let's see where that goes. So, you know, I, I, I watched him. I tried to talk him out of it in 2000. I'm like, Rajiv, you're smart. You went to Stanford. Why would you do this? You know it's not going to work. And then we became good friends. And over the three years, I saw the business grow from nothing to half a million to a million. And that's when I told him, you're on to something. You know, stop uh, sort of uh, running it like a mom and pop shop. I think you need to get a proper factory, bottle it, buy some machinery, stop doing it, everything by hand. And, I, and, and that's how the journey started. We spent a year discussing it. He said, well, I need $3 million to do a semi-automated plant. Uh, and this is what it's going to look like. We'll buy the piece of land next door. And I just said, let's do it together. It was, a, it was, it was largely him. Uh, he had proven that he could make a good product. And I was just excited by the demographics of India with the number of young people who were going to start working for the first time. Yeah. And I was convinced that wine would no longer be a, a beverage only for the super elite, that anyone should be drinking wine. And that was the mission, and he sort of delivered on it. So tell us then about Sula today and, and the success so it's, that it's you know, been. Sula's been fantastic. You know, it's, I invested in 2004. Uh, he's raised a lot of money along the years. He's very profitable. Uh, in December, he went public. It's now a publicly listed company, so anyone listening to the show could actually go and buy shares in Sula. Um, one of the few recent success stories of a new brand creating a category. So to give you a sense, there's no market in the world where any wine brand owns more than 10% of the wine market. Sula is the only wine business anywhere in the world where we have a 60% market share of all wine sold in any country. It's just insane. Wow. So the challenge now is if, you're, if you own that much market share, its only way is your market share will go, go, go down. But the reality is the, the job that Rajiv has set for himself and his competitors is actually to grow the wine industry uh, because our per capita consumption of wine is one hundredth of hard spirits. And, and, and it's something, it's more feminine. So he's done something which is sort of capturing the India of tomorrow. And the opportunity for him and the category as a whole is, I think we've got 20 to 30 years of fantastic growth coming up. Wow. Well, listen, it's a fascinating story. And indeed, your philosophy around uh, investing is, is all equally fascinating. Uh, Deepak Shanapuri, Managing Director of DSG Consumer Partners, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.